from the get-go, we've wanted to build a brand with a great brand reputation. That only comes from longevity. Now, we compete with brands that have been in existence for 25, 30, 50 years sometimes. And you can't buy the level of expression and reputation that time gives you. There's no way to do it. So the only way you can do it is to maintain the utmost level of quality, consistency, and durability for, for a likewise investment. So you have to offer advantage to compete with people who are leveraging the advantage of longevity. Because um, as we had the conversation about, they're very quick to point out any deficiencies in your product. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 236. Blake Davis, Exploring Expedition an archery study. Support for the Big Buck Registry and the Deer Hunt Podcast comes from Hunter's Blend Coffee. Awaken your hunt with coffee purchased directly from farmers around the world, creating jobs and alleviating poverty. Hunter's Blend Coffee, we're hunters too. Black Ash Outdoor Products reduce your risk of tree stand suspension trauma with a tree stand wingman, the tree stand emergency descender system. The Enforcer, take control of your odor footprint with your personal ozone generator. Covert scouting cameras, remote cameras for hunting, wildlife, and security. The Horny Buck Seed Gummy, it's all about the freshest seed. Morse's Sporting Goods, a full line of sporting goods without the sales tax. And Big Buck Merch, you can get a cool high quality Big Buck t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and hoodies. And show support for this podcast by visiting www.bigbuckregistry.com forward slash M-E-R-C-H. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Henry Moncrief from Alstead, New Hampshire, and you're listening to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry. This is John Eberhardt. I've been hunting out of a saddle since 1981. I'm about to listen to my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry, deer hunting podcast. Hello everyone, this is Ulrich Oskov from Oskov Hunting, and you're about to listen to my favorite hunting podcast, The Big Bug Registry. Hello ladies and gentlemen and fellow predators, my name is Jay. Thank you for tuning in to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. For Dusty Phillips and Jim Keller and the entire staff here at the Big Buck Registry, welcome to this week's show. There are a couple things I'd like you to do for us if you could. If you would, please check us out on iTunes, subscribe, and leave us a review. With your help, we're going to try and push this show up the iTunes charts. I know we have a lot of listeners out there and I need you to take some action. I need you to leave a review and subscribe to the show. If you do subscribe, that'll give you access and notification each and every week that a new show is released. You can also access this show in its entirety on YouTube, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Google Play. It's all right there for you to access on demand at your fingertips. Regarding the harness program, we have an ample supply of harnesses to give away from our volunteer donors. If you're in need of a full-body harness, please send an email to j at bigbuckregistry.com. The archery industry is certainly flooded with bow manufacturers. There's not much to dispute there. So if you're going to get in, you better be darn good. Scratch that, you better be great. So where do you begin? Interstage left, Expedition Archery. Grown from their mothership in the aerospace industry, and after making parts for other well-known bow manufacturers, 
Expedition Archery started building bows with the same engineering, quality, and demands that the aircraft industry puts on their aircraft manufacturers. We sat down with Blake Davis, the National Sales Manager for Expedition Archery, to see what's under the hood. We'll turn to our entire interview with Blake Davis in just one moment, but before we do, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. In our first story this week, Colorado firemen rescued deer from Frozen Lake. He was too tired to move. This story was from the Fox News website and was reported by Michael Bartiromo. Firefighters in Colorado don't just rescue folks from fires. They sometimes lend a helping hand to their freezing four-legged friends, too. Earlier this week, a team from Lakewood's West Metro Fire Rescue came to the aid of a deer that had fallen through the ice at the city's main reservoir, ultimately helping guide him to safety by his antlers. Lakewood's Animal Control Department was first alerted to the deer by a passerby who noticed the four- to five-year-old buck was stuck on the ice on Sunday. An officer with Animal Control says he believes a coyote may have chased him out there, the Denver Post reports. West Metro Fire Rescue was soon called in to help extract the animal by breaking a path through the ice. The deer was actually standing in the water but was too tired to move. A member of the department's dive team was able to lasso the deer's antlers, turn him around, and guide him back to shore where he was transferred to Lakewood Animal Control officials. The animal warmed up under blankets inside their van before he was released around three hours later. The incident also prompted West Metro Fire to issue a warning about the dangers of playing near ice over lakes. If a deer can fall through, you can fall through, stated West Metro Fire spokesman Rhonda Schulting. MDC reports 15 new cases of CWD are out of nearly 18,400 deer tested. This story is from the Ozark County Times website. The Missouri Department of Conservation reports that 15 free-ranging Missouri deer have tested positive for chronic wasting disease out of nearly 18,400 test results received so far for the 2017-18 season. However, no cases of CWD in Missouri were found along the Missouri-Arkansas border. CWD has been found in several hundred deer in northern Arkansas. Cedar, Franklin, Jefferson, Lynn, Macon, Polk, Clare, and St. Genevieve counties all produced at least one deer that tested positive this year. Lynn County produced the most with four deer. For the third year in a row, MDC also reports no additional cases of CWD have been found in central Missouri, where a single case of CWD was confirmed in Cole County in early 2015. According to MDC, the low number of CWD cases found in new counties, such as Cedar, Polk, and St. Genevieve, suggests the deer was recently introduced to these areas. MDC also reports mandatory sampling is providing to be critically important in finding new cases in new areas and additional testing and thinning of deer in the immediate areas where cases are found is helping to limit the spread of the disease. The 18,400 test results MDC has received so far include nearly 16,000 samples collected from hunter-harvested deer during MDC's CWD mandatory sampling efforts November 11th and 12th. Results also include about 2,400 tissue samples collected for CWD testing throughout the state over several months prior to the mandatory sampling weekend and after the mandatory sampling weekend. The 15 new CWD positives bring the total number of CWD cases detected in free-ranging deer in Missouri to 57. Adair, Cedar, Cole, Franklin, Jefferson, Lynn, Macon, Polk, St. Clair, and St. Genevieve counties have all produced CWD-positive deer. Macon County has produced the most with 25 deer testing positive. For more information on samples submitted for testing, results received and pending, and cases of CWD in Missouri, go online to mdc.mo.gov forward slash CWD under CWD in Missouri. 
Bernie Berenger's five favorite new products from the 2018 Archery Trade Association show. This story is from OutdoorHub.com and was written by Bernie Berenger. Indianapolis was the site of the 2018 Archery Trade Association, the ATA show, the second week in January. As usual, the three-day show was huge with lots to see. By invitation only, everyone who's anyone in the business of bow hunting converges on the place, including archery shop owners, high-profile and low-profile TV hunters, manufacturers, celebrities who bow hunt, and of course, media folks. So here are Bernie's five most interesting and useful new products that were introduced at the show this year. The Wise Eye Smart Feeders. The feeder has a camera on it and it recognizes the animal that is approaching it. They call it species recognition. So you can set the feeder so the doors open and expose the food only for certain animals. For example, you can set it to open to feed deer, but when a hog comes along, it won't open. In fact, if you want to repel non-target animals such as coons, bears, and hogs, you can set the feeder so it transmits an electric shock to repel them. The Raven in-arrow tracking system. A transmitter fits inside your arrow and is activated upon the shot. It sends a signal that is picked up by a digital direction finder so you can walk right to the arrow. The unit transmits up to 5 miles. Of course, the system only works if the part of the arrow with the transmitter is still in the animal. The Lowdown SD Card Viewer. A tablet with a 9-inch screen and a built-in SD card slot that loads the photos three times as fast. It also allows you to manipulate the photos and save or delete with the touch of a finger. The viewer also has an HDMI port which also connects it to a television for viewing pictures. It will retail for about $200. Jarman Zero Bowsight. This was absolutely the talk of the ATA show. Not just because of the remarkable new technology, but because of the $1,000 for a bow sight price tag. It has no pins, just a screen in the window of the sight. When you look through the sight, you will see a red dot with the green directional arrows surrounding it. When the green arrows surround the red pin, you hit the button on your bow's riser and it calculates the distance and angle in a split second and puts a green dot on the screen where you should aim. Out on a limb camera arm, it mounts above the hunter and the camera hangs from an arm that swings in any direction. The head has tensioning dials so the camera stays in place after you get it where you want it. It moves really smooth and takes the choppiness out of moving the video camera around while following an animal or panning up and down or side to side. It's one of those products that makes you ask why someone hasn't thought of this before. Retail is $799. Honorable mention, the tree stand wingman emergency descender system. The reason the tree stand wingman is relegated to an honorable mention is due to the fact that it wasn't introduced as a brand new product at the show. It's been around for about a year, but it's one of the safest and easiest ways to protect yourself from a tree stand fall. Rather than bring you to an abrupt halt when you hit the end of the safety harness line, it slowly lowers you all the way to the ground. It can also be used to pull tree stands and gear safely up into the tree. In Bernie's opinion, the $115 made in the USA tree stand wingman may make the traditional safety harness fastening system obsolete. Jay Dusty and I might add one more product to this list. Check out our YouTube channel for our review of the Primos Double Bull Surround View Blind. You won't believe it. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Deer News. Special thanks to Daniel Applebaum and Tim Dones for both providing leads on stories this week. For links to the stories featured this week, please check our show notes at www.bigbuckregistry.com. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Blake Davis. Blake Davis, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friend? Good. Thank you for having me. I'd like to talk to you. You're a pretty cool brand over there. We 
we we think we do. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's a unique story. It's a great product. Um, I've got my whole evolution with the product was recognizing the the potential that lied in the brand and the manufacturing. Yeah. So it's been a cool story for me to kind of live through and be part of and and be an influencer on how it developed and nice. praying to God it would. So. I want to get into the entire evolution of the, the brand, the company, and everything you know about it, your experience with the company and the size and all that stuff. But before we get there, I want to talk about you. Where are you from? Uh, I live in upstate New York. I'm an upstate New York kid. Uh, I, I moved back there. I've moved in lived in a few different places but i always seem to kind of wind up back home yeah uh grew up in dairy country in upstate new york sure. um, uh, my family historically worked for remington arms so i've been around the outdoor industry no for kidding. a long time okay uh and just kind of been a student of it lucky enough to learn and be around good people that taught me a lot more than just the products right. so uh when I was 40 years old, I, I kind of made the decision a little recklessly that I wanted to go into the outdoor industry and uh, drag my wife and kids kicking and screaming. You and I are the same age, by the way. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> I made that leap of faith going into the podcast industry, the hunting outdoor podcast industry. They say you get older and smarter. I question that. <laughs> so. I appreciate you taking time to go through all this. So you're, you, hunting is had to be part of your life with Remington in your life and being in dairy country and that there's it, you had to be a hunter I, I am part of that generation where hunting and fishing were a lifestyle thing um, you know we didn't have the electronics we didn't have the confusion uh, I grew up where literally I could walk out my door and go fishing trapping hunting I, oddly enough my family really doesn't hunt um, but I we all kind of have an inner spark that sends us out there to, to catch a fish uh, trap a mink Right. kill a deer you know yep. whatever we do and yep. um i i just followed that it was very formative it was my escape from working on dairy farms and yeah uh, you know, <laughs> and being forced to work um you know so yeah it's it's a lifestyle it's right. always been a lifestyle right. i've never walked away from it uh and it, and it's most of the people in this industry don't get into, into it because yeah. it's a you know you're going to retire the ceo of a fortune 500 company it's yeah. because it's what we love to do so your your escape to the outdoors to break away from some of the the, the dairy process reminds me of Nikki Boxler. Remember when we talked to Nikki Boxler? She's from New York, runs a dairy farm, and she escaped hunting. Yeah, um, and it, that is you know sometimes you grow up in something. Uh, the dairy industry is grueling. Uh, you know, it's 365 days a year. It's a lifestyle. It's not a career. Yeah. Uh, and I was pretty, and like most young people that grow up on a farm, you make a decision whether that's what you want as a pathway in life or you don't. Right. Um, and, you know, I was one of the ones that the pathway was kind of chosen and that my family decided to not pursue anything on that yeah. side. But it, it, geographically, there's a lot of dairy there. Yeah. You know, I grew up as being a much more rural kid than the school that I went to. So I was a little kind of the odd man out, but uh, I had access to it. And access yeah. is, is key. That's what develops people. Yeah. You, you may want to do something, but if you don't have access to it, you can never develop that, right. that passion. So right. um, I was very lucky. And uh, you, you hear a lot of those stories. A lot sure. of people here are still connected from a very rural lifestyle right. or uh, or a family tradition more right. than anything. Right. So, it's a it's a neat industry, yeah. really. Yeah, you very rarely meet the person that was tied into an urban setting growing up and no. got into the hunting industry. Oh. It's pretty I, uh, oddly odd. enough. It's <laughs> we are we're actually developing that demographic because there's deer in places that, that sure there are and deer big deer too. I That's mean, right. Those guys tend to be like psychotic about big right. rack. Uh, right. One of my friends, Jake Bennett, he kills a buck or two every year in suburban uh, right Boston. 
yep. giant deer. I mean, yep. he's, he's, a, he's a stone cold killer, yeah. but um, totally different than he actually grew up sure. just down the road from me. Boston so bow hunter. Sure. I, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and he contributes there right. occasionally. So Absolutely. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. I never really know if it's some of the, 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 the country kids moving into suburbia or if it's the urban kids moving into suburbia to hunt, you know, which, from which direction do they come? Um, I, like I said, I, I've always believed that as human beings, we have an inner spark to be mm-hmm. hunter-gatherer. Some of us don't have the need to follow that pursuit. Right. Um, but uh, even if you're just a gardener, I guess you're, you're still following that. Yeah, that, that's true. That kind that's of a good point. Impulse. And, yep. and like me, who really, other than access to firearms, I really didn't have access to a hunting culture. But uh, how I got into hunting was when I was very young. I was down along the river by my house in November, and I didn't know anything about the rut or anything else. So there was one of my friends, and a six-point buck, little year-and-a-half-old buck, came down to the river, walked right up to us, was standing on the other side of the river. And, I mean, to this day, I can see the, the, his breath coming out of his nose, just looking yeah. at his cold. And one of my friends asked me, what did you think? I said, I'm going to kill that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it was just impulsive for me, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't ingrained. And, um, you know, I... As hunters, sometimes we, we get defensive about the word kill, but it's what we do. Right. Um, I, I am probably the least apologetic hunter you ever hear. But we don't have to be abrasive about it either because mm-hmm. some people just don't understand it because they haven't followed that right. that inner spark. Um, and I get that. But now, we, you know, we're, we're still all people. Mm-hmm. You go to all different parts of the world and people have an intuition to hunt. It's right. it, uh, fish. Fishing, right. you know, right. uh, well, everywhere there's right. water and it covers two-thirds of the earth. So, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's... I like how you say I'm the most unapologetic, unapologetic hunter that you'll meet. I think that I'm going to steal that from you, by the way, just so you know. One, why should I have to apologize? It's 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 legal. It's been going on since time immemorial. Right. Um, we've reduced animals to our possession either through a manipulated lifestyle where we raise them to die, mm-hmm. or we go out, we pursue a, a, a creature that has you know free will to be wherever it wants to walk. Right. Um, meat doesn't come from anywhere but something giving its life and uh you know it's not a bloodthirsty pursuit it's just a natural progression of life right uh you know and and people way overthink it and they they want to get really emotional about it and justify it and it's it's listen just just break it down you may not understand it and i'm not asking you to participate or understand um but don't vilify me for it either right it's right you know most of the hunters that i know are very conscious of what they're about because we don't have to go out there and kill something our families don't depend on it but we were created by god to do it to go out and hunt and gather and we just we follow that spark right and um you know we're we're afforded the luxury of doing it with the most efficient ethical means possible and i think we have a responsibility to do that Mm -hmm. but likewise i don't have to apologize for it right right i'm being a person right we do yeah yeah i mean by nature we're pretty good hunter gatherers yeah so Uh, i'm not apologizing for my nature (laughs) we've populated the entire earth with the most successful species that's right that's right you know some of us us are just better than others that's That's right some of us are a little better than others and i lost a step this year so i'm not going to say anything it's uh i'm glad my family doesn't rely on me right putting me in the freezer this year (laughs) do you uh, do you remember your earliest hunting experience uh, hunting experience, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine, Jimmy yeah. Stone, and I were hunting on his uncle's property. Yeah. Uh, I had a bear recurve bow, 
we had no idea what we were doing. Um, and we were walking through the woods. We saw a giant raccoon in a tree. And yeah. I'm like, good enough. Yeah. So I shot the raccoon out of the tree. I left two arrows in the tree because I'm twice shooting up hill. Uh, but killed the raccoon, brought it home. This is my very first archery kill, uh, other than maybe a woodchuck that just, just happenstance when I was target shooting and I happened to hit it. But uh, it's the first hunting experience where we, we camped in a tent on Uncle's lawn and he had 50 acres and we went out and we did it. And again, it was just about, we just wanted to go out in the woods and hunt yep. and, and learn. Right. I mean, you don't go out with the intention of learning, but that's really why you go out. And uh, and it was, it was pretty funny because I actually have a scar on my thumb because I wasn't care. I was so excited. I wasn't careful with the broadhead, and I cut my thumb pretty yep. good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember those early early days with jackknives and broadheads. Yes, yeah. I have some scars myself. You know. And we're all still here to tell, right. tell about it. So let's talk about some archery stuff. You're tied in with Expedition Archery. Uh, what's your position over there? I'm the sales manager. Okay. Um, we're, we don't have a lot of people, so we all wear a lot of hats. I also do brand strategy, market strategy, sales, technical support. R&D, you know, we all kind of shift around, but primarily I was brought in to develop the market strategy, the sales strategy for the company in okay. a consumer market. Gotcha. So. All right. Let's talk about the company a little bit. It's, uh, we were having a nice discussion on the way down to the, the booth here, and you told me it's a pretty small company, but you're backed by some uh, the aerospace company on the other side. That's that To think that you've got an aerospace company that can produce a bow and arrow is, to me, gives me a lot of confidence that you know what you're doing yeah it's kind of like going to the county fair with your big cousin yeah. behind you you're right you don't, yeah. to, you don't have to worry about getting in a fight because you got it covered um oh, yeah i got back up yeah we're good if i um, get in trouble he's coming that's yes. right uh, that's why we have dusty the parent company is a 49 year old aerospace manufacturing company um they, they build the most sophisticated parts in existence in aerospace for Boeing, Hamilton, Sunstrand, Rockwell Collins. We we have parts that are implemented in the THAAD missile system, which has been pretty popular with North Korea getting jumpy. Yeah. Um, we build structural parts for aircraft, the stuff that goes in outer space. It's They do very, very technical work, and they have, very, they have a lot of very big, very fast machines, and the personnel that knows how to implement them uh, with the utmost efficiency and precision. Okay. So the beauty of that is we don't have to pay for that with bows. Right. We just buy it from our parent company right. when we need it. Right. Uh, it gives us a, a... Sourcing is always a problem in, in manufacturing. When you own the sourcing mm-hmm. for 75% of what you build, it, it is a very strong position. It's huge. Um, yeah. It's, you never have to worry about supply chain because if the phone's not working, you run through a door and start yelling at someone on the other side of the right. wall. Right. Um, and our general manager, Devin Bakley, is phenomenal at right. manufacturing that process uh, without interrupting anything on the other side. And we get the best quality parts in existence. Um, and we've built, we actually started building parts for the archery industry before we made the leap into a consumer product. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, we, I mean, ultimately, if, if, if you break it down to a base level, our parent company is a job shop. Right. You know, they're a, they're a source for right. high quality, right. you know, aerospace parts. Right. But um, so them supplying us, we're just another customer. Right. We, we pay them like they don't own us. And, um, you know, we have to work through the structure. Sure. Yeah. There's still a system and you have to have checks and balances on the, on the books and all that stuff. But it's a lot easier. But it's a heck of a lot easier. Yes, yes so, it is. It's all in-house. Right. right. Yep. So how, what, what even made that leap from aerospace to archery why 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 would that even occur uh it's kind of you know we're all a 
a product of the exposure that we have in life. And mm -hmm. uh, Yankton is an archery town that it's the head, uh, the National Field Archers Association is, mm -hmm. is headquartered literally right across the street from the, the plant. Uh, all the guys that work at Expedition, uh, essentially, you know, the key component guys, we're all bow hunters and archers. Uh, our original owner, Tom Bonnet, he owned the company 2007, 2008. With the economic downturn, there, it, there was some hesitation as to what was going to go on in the, the aerospace industry, whether that was going to trickle down into air travel or, or defense spending. Right. Um, so they always, smart business people always look for alternative markets. Uh, Devin went to Tom and said, hey, I'd like to go to the Archer Trade Association show. I think there's some space here for us because the machines we have, mm -hmm. uh, it's relatively quick work. We can turn things fast. We're used to on-time delivery for uh, aerospace companies. So I think we can do a good job here. And he came home and after that, they were building for, I think, three or four different archery companies. Okay. The big players too. I mean, we did bid work for most everybody in the industry. They've at yeah. least looked at the capability. Don't need to say names, but yeah, you can yeah. imagine that. Um, and then Kevin Strother, who is our, our cam designer, uh, works on our bow design with us. He came to Devin and said, you know, with all the advantages you have, have you ever thought about bringing a product to market? Uh, and Devin, again, and said, we think there's some space here. Uh, we'd like to explore it. What do you think? They gave us the initial funding. The rest is history. Mm -hmm. So, Gotcha. Um, Was there any um, pushback from the companies you're already making parts for? No. Essentially, as a... As a all too often in, in business, we're all so busy with doing what we do. As long as our on-time delivery from our suppliers is good, mm -hmm. there's no and there's no competition between what you're doing. You know, obviously, uh, you don't want to do work for everybody that's competing for the same parts right. or, or bit them. But uh, um, and our true is completely separate. So. Right. Uh, no one in aerospace was really playing archery market. It was a good secondary market. Uh, there wasn't a lot of exposure from a capital investment. We didn't have to buy a lot of things that we weren't already buying. Yep. Um, it just worked well. So, okay. uh, and if it didn't pan out back then, the initial investment was not cripple the company. Right. So right. Um, it was a kind of a good test market too. Gotcha. Yeah. So, but the company itself is pretty small. You said what, seven, seven people. Uh, the archery division is yep. seven people. Right. Um, the applied side is 180 employees. Right, yeah, not that side. Huge, just the archery side. It's, yeah, it's we, a small division. By controlling our, our manufacturing, we can we can do a very lean model of just-in-time delivery is the manufacturing model. I'm not really a manufacturing guy, but that's uh, don't carry more inventory than what you need. Utilize your sourcing to keep you in a good part stream and manage that part stream well. Deliver a bow on time to the market without having to carry a ton of inventory because if you carry a ton of inventory that doesn't sell, it costs you a lot of money. Right. Your cost of goods sold just skyrocket, escalates very quickly. Right. So with the machine capacity, we our goal has always been to be the best, not the biggest. Okay. And the the market approach that we brought to it, it, it is uh, there's just an, a certain amount of bandwidth in the premium market. Everybody competes for that bandwidth. And we could compete because we thought we could build a bow that was every bit as good a quality with a better process because we managed our, our total scope in the market well. Um, to leverage all those core competencies on okay. the other side. So that's uh, so we, we, we hand build bows on kind of a semi custom basis. They're built to order. Really? Um, okay. Cams are there every bow is individually custom shimmed. The cams are laser aligned. The four struck curve is optimized on a load cell during the build cycle. The draw length set to ATA specs before it goes out, and then the, the final test performance. We shoot every bow through a chronograph to make sure it does exactly what we advertise it. Really? Um, so That's super interesting. 
the, you know, we, we understood that a premium customer wants a premium product. They don't just want a premium offering. They want a premium experience. And the only way to really give that to, it's kind of like the difference between a production rifle and a custom. Um, what we found was we could build a semi-custom rifle at a price point that was competitive within the marketplace. We didn't have to become this ultra high-end niche Yep. product where yep. we'd only sell a few bows a year and um, there would never be any sustainability. Gotcha. So, um, and over the years, we've, we, 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 every year we've continued to garner more and more market share, building a brand as much as we're building great bows. And uh, it, it's been a really fun ride because who doesn't like to be attached to quality products that have a gratation? Right. So, right. Was was it the, the the quality piece of that when and you said in Aero Trade magazine that the the market was flooded, um, going back to even 2012. So you had to be good. You had to be great. Yes. You had to be perfect. Um, yeah, because it, my first question to Devin when I met him at the ATA, I was working for another company, um, and in that company we had a premium brand and kind of a commodity brand. So I had a real good scope on where things were going to head, you know, which ones were performance weren't and how competitive the market. So Devin and I started talking and my first question that I met him uh, was, why would anybody bow? It's not, it, I mean, at yeah. that point, the, the, the assumption was we already had Matthews Hoyt Elite, Bowtech, PSC, a lot of other companies that were building right. good serviceable products. Great, great the, bows. The, the oh. relative level of satisfaction was pretty high. Right. So, uh, you know, I didn't think that there was any space there to compete mm-hmm. until... He started, we started to talk a little bit more. He had questions about the market. Um, and then I, I started to get some insight onto how the company was leveraging what they had. And that was when the light bulb turned out this company real shot at doing something pretty impressive. And about a year and a half into that, we got to the point with a pretty long commuter job every day and every day for about four talk every day about something, about mm. how to work around. And finally they said, you know, would you ever consider, you know, coming over here? And I sat down with my wife. And I have an opportunity. Here's what it is. Here's yep. what it's not. Um, do you mind? She said, no. Right. It makes you happy. Yep. You know, supportive life is really yep. important in this gotcha. industry. Right. Um, and, and life in general. Right. But, uh, um, so I, I came here, and it's been so far it's been a pretty good ride. I mean, cool. stressful sometimes because we are so small. Sure. But uh, um, but it's the the ECOC is pretty high, and the ECOC is expanded coefficient of cool. Um, you know, <laughs> at the end of the day... <laughs> Expanded coefficient of cool. The, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I sell bows for a living. It's not right. like right. I'm curing cancer, um, and it's really fun. Yeah, you know, yep. it's it's a dream job for a lot of people. It's a dream job for me. Right. So, so how, where does the excellence start? Like, you okay? So we're in the aerospace industry. We think there's an opportunity. We're making some parts for some of the, the higher end bows already in the man, in the in the market space. How do you decide I've got to make a great bow? Where does that process start? Um, one, you have to have the capability in engineering and design. Okay. Um, and it, everything really, in my opinion, in the archery industry, especially the high-end bow market, those are about as efficient as you can make a machine. They're, mm-hmm. they're very efficient. Um, but then you add in unique people with a different perspective, and that's where Kevin Struther comes in. Uh, Kevin is literally the maestro of the tree. A lot of people don't realize what he's touched um, and degraded. He's been involved with a lot of bow companies, and people know that. And sometimes those, uh, you get the, the, the sound bite of what happened. It's not mm-hmm. in the background. But 
take all that away, Kevin is, is the most prolific Camden in a unique way of looking at everything. And he has an ability that simple book smart math. Hmm. Um, he he's given us some design things that uh, when you combine that with Devin's manufacturing ability and uh, really he's kind of a process really sharp a business guy. And uh, I'm I'm just the guy who's had the time in the boat with the industry. So right. um, I've learned from a lot of mistakes. But when you put all that together, um, and we're all kind of geeky, we've got enough. We like pride and crafts in our thumb. When you get a team like that, affect the development of a product, inevitably, uh, iron sharpens iron. Okay. The, you know, the sum of the parts is greater than the whole. Yeah. you got to have products, personnel, and process. I mean, people talk about it all the time. Um, your products have to be good. Procedures have to be the process you to do them, and the personnel that implement has to be dedicated to the same task. Gotcha. Um, so, um, but once you get that funneled, you have, it's kind of like upper echelon athletes or uh any anybody who's in the top, mm-hmm. they they have certain personality traits, ownership mentality. The they assume responsibility. Gotcha. They don't want to be the weak link. Yep. We're a good team. Uh, once you implement that and you get that all together, the only thing that can really make that wobble or right uh, or somebody can gotcha. purposely tries. So you got really smart people working in a team environment with a, a dedicated process, using some great designs and coming out of the aerospace side of things it's got to be sharp it's got to be spot on you we had a good conversation with dave graham yesterday about hey, some uh, john deere um i think they were mechanics not mechanics uh machinists were looking at the the, the process behind the bow like they they're going to pick up and notice certain things about the the end product you want to discuss what they have found uh, yeah dave has a friend who is uh, a machine parts inspector um you know machinists are machinists they, they think the same they they have the same cues they look for the same things and they can analyze something and tell you whether it was simply made or whether it made at a level as friends from the bows the machine work on the incredible um and that that comes just from the blessing we have and the capability the machines we use are bigger stronger faster they vibrate less um, than the typical archery machine. So it gives us, again, he had the process, the people behind it, it's just refined. Gotcha. Um, that was Dave's buddy. People who know manufacturing machining look at our parts and say, okay, just job shop yep. stuff. Yeah, so, gotcha. Um, you want to? You guys want to get into some of the, the, the core aspects of the bows themselves, like materials? Um, you guys are making strings too? No, that's one of the outsourced okay. processes. Okay, that's, that's good stuff to cover. So you got Dusty. You want to kind of pick it up from here and get into some of the, the nitty gritty of the bows themselves? Yeah, absolutely. How do you go about uh, designing a bow that's made for the hunting market? Not only the art, the target market, but there, there's a certain aspect of a bow that uh, implies to a hunter. Yeah, there. That's you've got market influence where there is a demand based upon a concept uh, that you have to be cognitive of. You can't just build what you want and hope that they understand the advantages. Um, we take a different, I always talk about a purpose-driven approach to everything. Every bow in our lineup, from the, the short axle to axle performance bow, the Explorer SS, um, that was designed not to be just a short bow, it was designed to be the best performing short axle to axle hunting bow on the planet. So where that comes from is there's a market demand for, uh, as ground blinds become more popular, as uh, elevated blinds become more popular, and let's face it, most of us hunt whitetails. We don't carry our bow very far, but we're in confined trees relatively close distances. So the old adages of longer bows are more accurate, blah, 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 
really is a moot point because we shoot deer 25 yards away from the right, right, right. cover. So we have suitable accuracy. Now, the flip side is, is we always take that one step further and so well, why does a short bow have to be that? Um, so the first is defining product. Everybody wants a short axle axle bow. Right. Well, we're not going to build just a short axle axle bow. And is there any perception about that category we can change? Um, can we build a 30-inch axle axle hunting bow that is just as accurate in a shooter's hands, not just from a, sh- you know, you can put any bow in a shooting machine. It can only return to the way you have it set up. Correct. Um, and it'll do it very consistently. So, so you've, you've come up with a short axle axle, but... Uh what kind of material, getting into a, a shorter hunting bow, what kind of materials actually create this bow from raw stock? Um, all of our risers and cams are machined out of 6061T6 aerospace grade aluminum. Okay. Um, there's some talk in the industry about 7075, uh, other um, alloys, uh, which essentially the metallurgy side of the aerospace allows us to look at what is the most suitable metal to use for what we want does it have the strength characteristics the weight characteristics um the the rigidity characteristics and what we found is that you can use 7075 or other variants it just increases machine cost tool wear and uh some of them time harden uh, they're not good applications in cold weather with it prolonged use. You know, a guy keeps about seven, eight years, and it goes from his, his truck at negative 20 to his uh, truck at 120 in the summertime. Right. Um, aluminum changes a little bit. 6061, we build all kinds of parts that hurtle through space at alarming rates of speed and have phenomenal stress loads. We just have not found a better material all around for everything than 6060. Right. Um, so we just continue to use it. You, you talked about the longevity of the bow uh, when you when you're making that you know general idea of a thousand dollar purchase. You want something that's going to last you five to seven years comfortably, and be able to repetitively shoot that tool as we would call it in the hunting industry. We're going to take that tool and we're going to you know not really abuse it, but we're going to use it. We're going to utilize it and and try to get maximum performance out of our investment. That's where Expedition focuses on their archery bows. That it's going to be in it for the long haul. It, there, and there's two elements to that. Is that one, when a purchase is made at $1,000, most people, that is not a minor investment. Correct. Um, we all have to clear that with the war department, known as our wife. And she wants to know that we've made a good investment in right. what we do. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's, a dis, that's a family discussion. You brought up a great point there. When you go to buy a $1,000 bow, that's a family discussion. And um, likewise, you want a $1,000 experience with correct. that. Correct. Um, from the get-go, we've wanted to build a brand with a great brand reputation. That only comes from longevity. Now, we compete with brands that have been in existence for 25, 30, 50 years sometimes. And you can't buy the level of expression and reputation that time gives you. There's no way to do it. So the only way you can do it is to maintain the utmost level of quality, consistency, and durability um, for, for a likewise investment. So you have to offer advantage to compete with people who are leveraging the advantage of longevity because um, as we had the conversation about they're very quick to point out any deficiencies in your product that's right or any or any potential deficiencies in your product yep. so you got to build it better and likewise the satisfaction that comes from if you buy a bow and you're very happy with it and it and you get to shoot it for five years and you're not constantly maintaining it or fixing broken parts or anything else 
the likelihood that you're going to return to that brand, um, it, it, you know, literally can be generational. You look at automobiles, you know, if your dad drove Ford, you're a Ford guy. Right. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to push those norms. Um, and likewise, if you're very satisfied with the product that you bought, it did everything that you wanted it to do, and there was no, no hiccups, caveats, or anything else, you're likely to go back to that brand and say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, I was really happy with the last one. Let's see what you got. Um, so that, and that's, that, that again goes back to our development strategy. We don't like new for the sake of new. If we can't do it, what we feel is the best or better than what's currently on the market, we're not going to play in that sandbox. So oh, that, um, that separates you from a lot of others. And, and likewise, by not having to support the infrastructure to have to come out with something new just to garner enough placement in the industry to, to maintain things, uh, maintain our infrastructure, it gives us that flexibility to do things a little bit differently than everyone else in the market. All right, let's take a coffee break. And when we come back, we'll get into how you test the bows in different environments. Folks, I want to tell you about one of the best cups of coffee I've had in a long time. We met up with the Hunter's Blend coffee guys at the ATA show in January. One of them is a longtime listener of the BBR, and Hunter's Blend coffee is now our new sponsor. You know, coffee makes the hunting world go round, or so it seems. Whether you're heading out the back door to your favorite blind or jumping in the truck for a long drive, coffee is what got you up and at it. Now there's Hunter's Blend Coffee, brought to you by hunters who care about and support the lifestyle we all love. Hunter's Blend Coffee is purchased directly from small family farms in Nicaragua and northern Thailand and is changing the lives of many in these communities. Not bad for a cup of coffee. Hunter's Blend Coffee is smooth, rich, and will awaken you any time of the day. Go to huntersblendcoffee.com and check it out and order some for yourself. You'll be glad you did. And be sure to ask for it at your local hunting store. If they don't carry it, send them our way. Hunter's Blend Coffee. We're hunters too. And now back to our conversation with Blake Davis from Expedition Archery. Uh, talking a little bit about structure of the bow, you're talking about going from a 20-degree hunting situation into a 120-degree summer situation. How does you as a company test your product to be able to determine the flexibility of the mechanism working in different elements? Um, the one thing that a lot of people don't think about, especially in archery, which is a very small segment of the outdoor industry, is a lot of the materials and composites that we use really were, were forged in another much larger industry. Um, you know, like limb material. Gordon Glass has a very large aerospace automotive application. They know, the you know, fiberglass, you know, glass structural components, sure. and bend rates and yep. things like that. Um, we've seen a, a huge influx of crossbows in the market. And one of the things that stagnated crossbow development for so many years wasn't the access of seasons. It was there wasn't enough people adopting a crossbow to, to functionally affect the evolution of the product. But when that started to turn, the, we've seen huge gains in the quality of the, that product. Now, they still just leverage the same materials that we use that came from automotive or, um, to build better technology here. But when we analyze things, we, we go to key partners. We use Limb Saver rubber products. One, they're made in America. Uh, number two, they're, uh, they exhaustively test and research their products to make sure that they're giving you the best uh, and most technologically advanced products known for their particular application. Now, they leverage, again, they're in a, they're an aeronautics uh, sound dampening, so they leverage what they learn over there to apply it to the harmonics that, that are come in guns and bows and things like that. 
Gordon Glass builds phenomenal. They, they build for most of us, and they have a absolute bulletproof product. We have our limb failure is infinitesimal. So that, that, that ties into the aerospace background that the company already carries. You're finding the best partnership on your limbs and materials that can be as just as reputable as the aerospace, uh, making parts for your bows. Yeah, it's, I, I tease a lot that it's really hard to dumb down my aerospace guys. to the, because, And it's not to say that the archery industry isn't sophisticated, but the level, the elevation that they have to function at, the level of precision and durability and process, uh, we're, the, our parent company is both ISO and ASO certified. ASO right. certified right. is aerospace standards. And aerospace standards, ISO 9001, not to diminish it at all, but it's a baseline. Mm-hmm. ASO was formed by Boeing because they really didn't like the manufacturing processes that were, were, were coming at them from their ISO certified company. So the best refine the best, and that only comes from either direct need, which let's face it, if an airplane, we always talk about, we specialize in loss of life, flight critical parts on the aerospace. If, if we have a part failure, there is a high likelihood that there is going to be loss of life, great damage, and great expenditure. Um, it's a huge risk to put an airplane. And the airplane, the aeronautics industry has done a great job of having backups for backups for backups, analyzing everything to death, um, and adopting a zero failure policy as much as that is possible in a machine. So when you're used to functioning in that crucible, you start to apply it to archery where um, the beauty of most archery equipment is when the energy is displaced in an improper manner, it's going away from the shooter. So the safety level is pretty high. Um, you know, even if a limb broke and everything collapsed, all the energy collapsed. If a string breaks and it goes, it goes away. You might get whipped with a string. Not that people don't get hurt with bows, but it's a relatively safe right. endeavor. But if you take that attitude from the associate applied to, to arrows, uh, they, they just never kind of get out of that that, that mindset. mindset so yeah. it's uh it's you almost you have to bring them there it's like guys i always you drive an attack with a sledgehammer stop um, <laughs> there you go. that makes completely sense though because you know they're already on that that uh, zero tolerance of you know machine work or engineering paperwork that's going in to be you know reviewed or getting your licensing to produce that product and you apply that to a piece of archery equipment that, that there's no room for error in something that small and, and not really that high of risk. Yeah, when good enough isn't good enough, right. you know, that's the level that you function at. Um, you know, and, and we have that, and I don't, we don't have to coach it in. It's kind of, uh, it's cultural with, with the guys on the other side. So right. it's, Very good. It's, uh, uh, it's can, can you run through and just tell us what different bows that you would offer? Uh, our 2017 line is the complete evolution of the Expedition product offering. We have a short axle to axle bow mm-hmm. in the Explorer SS. It's a 355 foot, foot a second, six inch brace height speed bow, but it's also very compact. The Excursion is the evolution of our very first speed bow independent kind of uh, our our baseline model, the Eccentric. Uh, it's got some refinement features, but it comes in a six inch and seven inch version. It's a 32 inch axle to axle bow with a 358 foot and 348 foot IBO rig. Um, they're very fast. They are hot rods. Um, and then we have the Denali, which some guys, old, older guys like us, remember when bows were extremely long. Um, you know, I, I tease all the time. I remember hitting 220 feet a second and thinking NASA was going to sign me to a contract. You know? <laughs> um, right. It makes sense, though. And and now, you know, 220 is right. plebeian. It's, you know, it's like, oh my, that's junk. Right. Um, 
you know, we have a 34-inch axle axle bow with a 7-inch brace. It's very forgiving, very stable platform. It's built for the guy that prioritizes the ability to shoot a bow well, but we don't compromise speed. It's still a 345 foot per second bow. Wow. And like I said, all of our IBOs are verified with every bow at the factory. Um, and if anything, we adopted a mentality we're gonna we were gonna conservatively rate those so that we were not disappointing the customer. Um, you know, we didn't want it to be like. Uh, gas mileage rating or horsepower rating, you know, in a vacuum downhill on a dyno, um, you know, with a tailwind, you get this mileage or this much horsepower. If it's a 358 foot per second bow and you shoot 30 inches, 70 pounds uh, with a 350 grain arrow, it's going to do at least 358. A lot of our bows will, will kind of best what we say they'll do. It's just a buffer we have. A little more skinny pedal than they're telling you. Yes. All right. Um, and that 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 has been one of the keys that we've been able to access the market with in a, in a market that tends to be optimistic with their IBO ratings, um, we deliver. And it, it, in reality, 358 feet a second, if you're anywhere as close to that, you got a machine that will do anything you want it to do. But if you actually meet it, it, there's a level of pride that goes in and saying, you know, I shoot, you know, my equipment is just bad, man. I mean, <laughs> right. Um, right. you know, and we're guys, we like fast. That's a very good point. Yeah, very, very our, good point. You know, not, not to belittle our women, because we actually, we approach the market in a, in, a, in a market that the mentality is shrink it and pink it mm-hmm. um, and then market it to women, uh, we build a high-performance short-draw bow, and we have some super capable women that are shooting 25, 25-and-a-half-inch drawlings doing amazing things with our, our short-draw models. Uh, and, you know, and they finally feel like, listen, I don't, I'm not getting a hand-me-down or a refurb. I'm getting a $1,000 bow, and I really like that. Um, you know, so, and there's a marketplace there. I mean, the women that are getting into hunting are, you know, in our age class, they're in their primary income years. They've got some extra time and, and, and money to pursue something that's not traditionally thought of as a, a woman's occupation. Um, but when they do, they're very serious about it. Most of them are not just tagging along. They're, I mean, they're, they're probably more serious than guys. When women archers get bit by the bug, they, they dig in. And, um, you know, we build a product for that archer. And it's, it doesn't matter whether you're a guy or a girl. If you got a short draw length, we build a high-performance bow. That's that purpose-driven mentality that we do. Um, it's not an appeasement. None of our bows are in the market. The only other bow we have in our line now, we, we still are... In 2015, we came up with a 36-inch bow that goes out to a really long draw length. It's called the Perfection. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a great 3D crossover hunting bow but it's it's also the only bow that still goes to 32 and a half inches i'm really you know people are getting bigger and there's some really long draw lengths out there we we don't catalog it but we still build that bow just for that it's a great you know you get a big guy he looks kind of he's got a 30 inch axle <laughs> that's good kids yeah and they don't <laughs> that's a good visual well. right there it's um, not about how you feel or how you look it's how you feel yeah and likewise short bow is one of the one of the hard things with them is getting enough draw length out of them. And it, so it's unique in that Explorer SS goes all the way out to 30 inches, which will fit 95% of the Most archers. Uh, and it goes yeah. down to 25. Yeah. Um, you know, but the perfection will go out to, you know, those Shaquille O'Neal guys, 31, 32 and a half. Um, and they don't, you know, it's, we didn't just make a cam that worked to give a long draw length. We built a bow that would for the long draw. Um, and then we have our Perfection XL, which is the Evo is a target bow, which mm-hmm. has some, um, that is probably the most technologically advanced bow that I know I've ever had in my hands. And uh, it's it's kind of like understated, elegant look at it. It is super, super refined. And it really leverages uh, the culmination of what, what 
Kevin's capable of doing in riser and cam design and melting it with our analysis capability on how we're going to manufacture that, how to make that riser better, how are we going to distribute the stress that's inherent in every riser and do it better. Um, and we've been able to do that and keep an $1,109 MSRP in a $700 MSRP world. So um, we're real excited about that one. Um, because it's, it really is, it, it's going to give us an evolution, I hope it's going to give us an evolutionary platform that's going to trickle back down to the hunting that is just, we'll be able to refine things even better in the future. So, you know, we're not just sitting still, we're, we're always looking, okay, we did that, that stunk, but we accomplished it. Right. Um, you know, and trust me, there is a large archive of failed or there has to be. non-continued right? concepts. You're not going to nail it. No, you got to trial and error as part of the game. Right. Oh, God. No, it, it, I do have to say that you know when we speak in the industry about prototyping, rapid prototyping is is kind of our specialty on yep. the side. And that we've made mistakes or miscalculations or refinements in in model development and given up on concepts. But uh, I can tell you that our the evolutionary cycle versus at virtually any is much faster. So right. um, it's, I can imagine that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, just, again, capability. Yeah. As we were looking over the products yesterday, uh, the one thing you pointed out is you guys have a, a single cam and a dual cam system. We just started down the path. We never kind of finished the conversation on some of the history of the dual cams and why people kind of shy away from them. But my understanding is there's a lot of technology now that takes that whole tuning issue and draw uh, weight uh, kind of out of the picture. Can you elaborate on your design? Yeah, there's... Um as the customer base evolves, there's you always have to be looking for, is there a market segment that we're not hitting? We, we kind of made our mark in uh, smooth but aggressive hybrid cams, dual cams. Um, you have two cams, they can do more work, you can do more things with them, they're, they're very fast, they're extremely tunable. Um, but for about 22 years, there was a cam system on the market that dominated the single because the concept of simplicity, shooters shot it. It was a very low maintenance uh, cam system. It had a very smooth draw cycle. And as we get a little bit older, we pull a little less draw weight. We enjoy shooting the bow more than the, the end result. There's still a demographic that enjoys that. Just It's kind of like the difference between driving a sports car and driving a luxury sedan. You know, you get in a luxury sedan, I don't care who you are, you, you know, you drive a Cadillac, a Mercedes, man, this is, I like this. Right. Um, so... In 2016, we came out with a single cam version. We'd always had single cams, and they were good, um, but they really were just uh, they were just good single cams. And we wanted to look at a smoother draw option. You can do that two ways. We can keep with a hybrid and develop a smooth hybrid, and then you've got to get mod kits for it and the whole thing. And uh, and then there's some confusion sometimes in the market. So I started ghosting on some of the uh, the you know elite was touting shootability, and Matthews had a bow that. Uh, the switchback that was kind of iconic and uh, it's the guys that have it uh, they're, they're almost but they all say both on both sides they love the draw cycle it's just fun to shoot but gosh they're 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 a little bit slow and they're really heavy we could just get the, a bow about but so that was our concept and Kevin came back with uh, a single cam design that uh, we had some questions on how to manufacture it so Devin manufacturer guys goes over to the manufacturing side and says oh no this will be cam to keep everything the same you're going to a higher level of precision, modular adjustment, everything else, keep that smooth draw. So we came out with a single cam, and the market kind of yawned and said, ah, single cams are for kids, $399 bows. How are you going to sell a premium single? Um, 
and we I kind of hedged my bets on that one. Model that was specific has a single cam. If it didn't bite, we weren't going to kill a whole classification. Whole classification. So um, for the first compromise and hedge, um, rather than run that on fire. Uh, <laughs> but it worked, and now we've evolved that cam. And, uh, because everybody drives a little bit, you know, that's why we build. Some guys, they're very focused smooth bow. Some guys want a smooth bow, but they don't want to give up any, you know, much speed. And that's when we evolved the single cam into our excursion platform away from our eccentric seven. Uh, it gave us two bows, a seven and three eighths inch brace set and a six. For guys like us who are northern guys, get bundled up like the state buff marshmallow man, <laughs> don't like to hit their sleeve, and, and really prioritize a smooth draw, that seven and three eighths bow is a nominal bow. Um, and a cam system is very accurate, very stable. Um, they, they literally are the easiest bows. We kind of just shoot just a lot of fun, but they're not our fast. And sometimes you got to make compromise. I can't make the pickup truck go 150 can't do it right. not the group yet right um and it really i always call it the pickup trick the guy that just wants to pick up a bow um that's the do thing in the world yep. uh huge range of draw length adjustment cam simple module change and stop you don't have cam sync right yep. um so that's why we have the single cam uh our six inch is one of our most popular i'm a hybrid guy but when we came out with the exception we had it on my back porch uh I've never Robin Hooded more arrows you know, off my deck. Mm-hmm. And, and guys are, are, you know, they're recognized. Hype is hype and, and everything else, but the, the market is, we, we've eclipsed technology. Now I can really pick one. Yeah. Um, I don't have to, whether I'm just, this is what fits best. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, you know, conceptually, our, our hybrids seem a little bit more technical. Um, mostly that's because I can explain them, but uh, <laughs> uh, that's my fault. Uh, they can do things that other camps can't, but they're not really, uh, they're, they're definitely different and definitely an improvement will draw stuff, but. They're still just a hybrid, and they function as parts. So, uh, but we've refined it. Uh, we think we have the most tunable hybrid on, um, on the market. Very okay. cool. Let's get into a, a memorable deer hunt. Honestly, my, my, my favorite bow hunt ever yeah. was the year that I just started with my former employer, Captain okay. John and Stan. Um, what year was this? That was 2012. 2012. 12. And, and it's. It, I went out. I had three days before I started a new job. It was the first real paid position. I'd always been around the industry, but I'd never had you know that that bottom line account of it or something. Yeah. And, and those guys took a, a chance on me. I'm starting my job in three days. Um, I have. I I do some hunts with gentlemen out of the Warrior Transit up at Fort Drum. Mm-hmm. And in one weekend, I went out first morning. I killed, and one of the guys that had hunted with, I killed a deer and ecstatic. It really jacked up to come hunting. And I said, "Listen, get down here. The ruts, there's bucks moving. It's going to be a good." I, I killed my buck, and that was that was great. But the very next day, um, I hope Dell doesn't mind me talking. Here's his pocket. <laughs> Dell is a retired master sergeant with 13 Iraq. He is yep. a, he is an American hero. Yeah. He uh, he comes out. I'm taking care of my deer. I'm trying to clean up. Get ready for thing i actually threw my back out um so i was limping around pretty good uh i got a text from uh, spike horn just passed and we were kind of trying to manage the ground a little bit it's hard in new york with a small property but um and he knew me as uh from just supplying them with turkey like that sometimes people get perception of the second coming and we're just really hunters um and about 15 minutes later he came back to that scrape scrape i text him back and i said dell you know Listen to your hunt, your hunt. It's the first bow hunt, retired or semi-retired, and then out. And he wound up shooting the spike horn buck, but the next text I get, it, I just threw up. <laughs> okay. And uh, it, it really drove home to me the fact that whether career military guy who really should be looked up to, whether you know, he's looking at me, some executive job with a small company in archery. Right. Um, you know, we're all hunters. 
and that was just really cool. My son got really excited. My son is typical of his, he's 18. Um, he hunts, but he has not tore up with it like a lot of 18-year-olds, Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but when Mr. Dell killed that buck, it was like party. Um, it was that's probably the most fun hunt I've ever been on in my life. I can life. see just, why that's a memorable hunt right there. Um, Absolutely. When, when you can provide that experience to someone and you share that experience, someone, yeah. especially someone who deserves it, yeah. it's uh, it, it changes your life a little bit. Right. You know, right. So, I'm with you. Um, it was, that, that was probably my, my, mo- my most fun. Yep. I've killed bigger deer than that other deer. Yeah, but, but sometimes it's not the biggest deer that gets the, the nod on the memorable hunt, though. And it, and it was that, that deer was more of a motivation for him than it was for me. I was happy with it, don't right. get me wrong. Right. But it was And it was a nice buck, but it wasn't the biggest buck I ever killed. Right. But that motivation and the turn of events that happened in the next two, three days, and he and I have hunted every year on Veterans Day weekend since then. So, you know, um, and he's brought other people in, and we've had other great hunts, but that was really the catalyst. That's just, to me, that's the coolest hunt I've ever been on. That's awesome. Very cool. Blake, we're going to go into the most, about every show we do, a 10 rapid-fire questions. Okay. And uh, just, you know, do the best that you can with them. We we haven't talked to you about them or asked you anything about them, but uh, I'll start with number one. What's your number one hunting tip? Um have fun very good hunt (laughs) don't overthink it we all got this one item that we cannot go to the woods without or we feel naked if we get there and we don't have it other than your firearm or your bow what what would be one item you would not be able to hunt without um and it's more superstition than anything but uh it just seems if i don't have an extra pair of gloves um interesting i always seem to lose one (laughs) um even even if it's in my pant leg i always seem to lose it and Um, so yeah, just make sure you have extras of everything. Very good. But gloves are very important. Question number three: What's your biggest pet peeve in life? In life, uh, people that do not value other people succeeding. Very good, uh, Blake. I'm, I'm going to ask. I'm guessing you're over 40 years old. So, what the Blake of today, knowing what you know, what would you tell the 20 year old Blake? Oh God, don't be you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was much. I was definitely a little you know fast and loose when i was 20 it's uh um listen my life's my life and uh you know you can't go back and change it right absolutely um i look at you know the success i've i've kind of achieved later in life but again i'm the same think i would have that i had an experience i shouldn't when i was 20 um so (laughs) right question number five you're at a hunting convention in the hotel lobby or getting on the elevator to to go to the convention or back to your room somebody asked uh hey blake what, what do you do for a living how do you answer that Oh, I work for an archery company. I sell bows. Very good. I work for Expedition Archery. I mean, that's the answer. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite questions, number six. What did you have for breakfast this morning? I didn't have breakfast this morning. <laughs> very good. I I eat very little at trade shows for some reason. I don't know if it's a tournament. But. Right. right. You get a, a blank billboard on the side of a major interstate in New York. It's a blank canvas. What would it say? Smart not people. I mean, really. Very good. It's not about you. we got to we got to change. Right, right. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Number eight, if I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that, first person that pops in your mind and why? Successful. Um, God, I, I can't pick one. I mean, I work with, I've met hundreds of successful people in my life. Anyone stand out above the rest? Um, you know, I, I, I can't say as one. I mean, I, I can't bring myself to elevate someone above uh, because everybody's, it would diminish the accomplished people. Very good. What's a um, typical day in your life look like? Um, up about 5 in the morning, answering emails, 
Uh, I work out of the house, which is a, a blessing. I have three kids. Uh, try to ride herd to make sure that they're not driving their mother crazy first thing in the morning before she goes to work and get them on the bus. Um, and then in, uh, the unique thing about being an international company is I may get a call from Italy or New Zealand um, at any given time. Uh, one of the hardest parts of my job is, is that the level of communication we have today because of electronics is uh, the expectations are very high. It's not that people don't want to call back. They want now. They want to talk to you now. Um, so, And I just grind it out. It's usually about 14-hour day, um, Saturdays and Sundays. I invariably wind up working two or three hours in between when I try to get my family time on the weekends. But uh, right. it's uh, that's just more being small in the hats. But Right. So. What's a typical hunting day in your life look like? Oh, uh, it's usually a disaster for about the first two hours because I don't get to prepare like I right. used to. Right. Um, and I, I actually hunt less now because we've been so focused on building this company and, and not wanting to do that. But typically, I am the very prepared guy. Um, you know, I've, I've planned my execution and trying to execute my plan. Um, I hunt public land. It's 20 minutes from my house. I get in my truck. I get out there when I can. I, I check when to go out there. Uh, I, I've learned, the one thing I have learned is a little bit more patience in understanding my own strategy uh and you know every time i deviate from my strategy i always wind up messing up (laughs) but uh you know it's uh, i'm more of a persistent guy than i am uh, a talented guy very good that uh, wraps up the 10 rapid fire questions like if we're uh, wanting to know more information about expedition archery where can we find the information that we need um expeditionarchery.com is is you know we we view our website as our our picture to the world uh, it gives you most of the, the technical information the frequently asked questions uh you will see me on all kinds of technical videos there which i don't particularly enjoy uh facebook you know it's it's a, it's a social media world and i hate social truly um but sorry evil so facebook we have a great group of people in an independently owned site called Expedition Archery Owners that is very helpful. And we've been blessed because uh, one of the rules we have there is look, there's there's no brand bashing. People are coming here, help them out. You know, it's it's not a sale threat. It's not anything. And, and the one thing that I'm probably happiest about, I can't be proud about it, cause, uh, is that our community of Expedition Archers has really built a good resource that is viewed to be separate from the company and is separate from the company. Um, that that for the brand loyal expedition shooter very good excellent oh yeah that was a great show blake and yeah thank you for diving deep on that it's uh it's fascinating what you guys are doing over there absolutely the precision alone is just mind-boggling it's fun i mean in in the end this this industry can be super difficult right i mean it is it eats people alive right um and and good people wind up in bad situations because it's it's discretionary income. No one has to have archery equipment. Um, it's very economy sensitive, and we can actually we're we're kind of in a point now where we're hurting our own economy. But we've we've put a lot of product into the market, and so you wind up not only competing with the new product from people, but you compete with leftover discounted inventory. Um, and the modern commerce model model really exacerbates. You can go to eBay. You can go to Archery Talk. You can buy brand new bows, good quality variant, just because they have to trade market now. Right. Um, it's the biggest struggle that we're going to fight that and, and, as I said, getting kids to participate in archery and exposing them to bow hunting. Um, you know, 
the easiest way for us to lose our voice as hunters and fishermen is to not be accepted in society. And that's only going to come, even if you don't have the participation, you can have the positive exposure. You know, so take a kid hunting and fishing, you know, take them out. Even if it's on a nature walk and just explain why am I going here? We're walking back here because I, um, I've done that a couple of the kids' exposure. Right. You know, even within my own family, they don't, you know. Yeah. They don't, uh, you know, my brother-in-law doesn't fish. Uh, my nephew, our house, very different. Environment, yeah, so. yeah, awesome. Blake, it's been an honor and pleasure having you on the show. Thanks well, for stopping thank by. Thank you, guys. I mean, it's kind of cool. I, I'm i not a very digital guy, and Dave said, with time, I don't, Dave's kind of giving me the background. You guys have done very, very well for yourself. You should be proud. Thank like, you. This is not an easy sphere to, to garner influence. Right. a lot of competition for you guys too. Definitely. Absolutely. And, um, everything that I hear is great. Keep well, that's good. Work. Sometimes we don't get that feedback, but thank you for yeah. sharing yeah. that. I, I really appreciate Blake Davis sitting down with us at the ATA and, and telling us about Expedition Archery. It's an archery company that has been on our radar for a little while. We've heard lots about it. We've heard about the engineering that goes into it and not just in the company side, but in the manufacturing side as well, the aerospace industry. So you got to think that if you're building airplane parts, you're already in business building parts for other bow companies, then you might as well start one yourself because you know it's going to be good. If you're building an airplane, you gotta you got to believe that you can build a pretty darn good bow. A fascinating story about, this, about the company. Definitely high-quality items they're putting out over there, and I like that they're small and nimble. One of my favorite aspects of any company is, is when they don't get too big. Uh, Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week? Yeah, Jay, we got a Chubby Tines Tip of the Week this week. The Chubby Tines Tip of the Week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentuckuk Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. Everybody says, well, where do you go and what do you do when you take a, take a, your deer to a taxidermist? And, you know, first thing I, I do, I find somebody and I, and I go look at their work. If, if you're wanting to get a, a good quality deer mount done, you need to go see what they're, what they're producing. Most taxidermists have a showroom or an area where they're working on deer and they're going to have it from the start to the finish. And if it's not something that you like visually, you're probably not going to like it once it's hanging in your living room. You got to look at it for the rest of your life. Uh, you know, take your time, do your research on your taxidermist. You know, some people like a particular different look and some people like a completely different look than the other person. So take your time and don't just go off your buddy's recommendation. Go, go look at their work and make sure it's what you want and what you think you're going to like. And, and another thing is, you know, taxidermists, some of them say, yeah, I'd like to have half up front. Some of them say, I'd like to have full payment. You know, well, I, I look at it like this, you know, if I, if I go somewhere and I buy something and I give them half the money, I, I don't. I, I don't uh, expect them to give me the product right away. They, they, once they produce the product, then I'll pay the rest. So take that into consideration uh, as far as if you walk into a taxidermy shop and you pay them up front full, full payment. That's almost like, to me, and this is my personal preference, helping everybody out. Uh, if you pay full payment, you, they've already got your money. Then, then what do you got? You don't have nothing saying that, they need that other half of the of the the mount. Does that make sense, Jay? I think you know half half deposit is fine because then you you can hold them accountable for doing the quality work that you would expect them to do on your 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 trophy. Yeah, and then then when it comes time for your trophy to be, if they, you know, and a lot of taxidermists are six months to a year behind, and that's okay. 
Don't get excited. That's something that a taxidermist don't want to hear as a phone call every other week saying, where's my deer at? You know, sometimes you get yourself in a predicament. If you pay the full cost right up front, it may slow down getting your mount back. And that's just something I experienced. And, and not every taxidermist is like that. But just, uh, you know, use your head and uh, go in it and, and get what you want out of your taxidermy work. Completely agree. I think you got it spot on. Very, very good. Dusty, where can we find you when you're not hanging out here in the studios with me? Uh, shoot me an email, dusty at bigbuckregistry.com. You can look me up on Instagram and Twitter at Chasing Antler, facebook.com forward slash chubby tines outdoors. Jay, where can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Likewise, you can shoot me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com, and you can visit us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We're also on Twitter, which is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. We are also on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry, and YouTube, which is youtube.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. On YouTube, you can listen to all of our podcasts in their entirety. As far as videos are concerned, it's a boring video, but the audio content is there, so you can actually listen to our podcast. You can also listen to all of our live shows that we've done on Thursday nights when we do do them, and we've gone back and interviewed, re-interviewed a lot of our previous guests we had on the show just to put a face to a voice, let's put it that way. You can always listen to our show on other places as well, not just YouTube. We're found on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher and Blueberry. And if you would like to submit a buck to our page for consideration and be featured on our page in front of 250,000 diehard deer hunting fans, all you have to do is go to bigbuckredstreet.com forward slash my buck and all of the instructions will be right there. I think that's pretty much everywhere we're at. I think that's a wrap, Dusty. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Sure is. I'm Jay Scott. I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Yeah.